Good morning. That's what happens when you see an old friend you haven't seen for a long time. You're like, I have enough time to give him a hug and come up here. And then you're late and here you are. But good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. And then you didn't even hear the thing where I said that I was a, you know, I won't even say it. We'll stop there. We'll just start over. Ephesians is not where we are. We're in Acts chapter 20. Thank you. Somebody else knows. We're in Acts chapter 20 today. Today we will be talking about discipleship. We have finished uh, our time in Hebrews, and we are headed to Micah next week. Uh, But in the interim, we are going to be here uh, in Acts chapter 20. So I will pray for us. We will dig in, and we will go ahead and get going. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. We are the people of God. Because of your son, Jesus Christ. We come here today as people renewed by the Holy Spirit, cleansed by your blood, freed from sin, with new identities as new people, as your children, loved and accepted by you through your son, Jesus, God. Let that be the fuel for the war against uh, our sin, for the war against the impurities in our life, for the dross in our life through the situations you're moving to sanctify us and make us more like your son. I plead with you, Lord, that you would empower us by your spirit and by the truth of the gospel to be a people who position ourselves to pour into other people and help other people follow you more faithfully and more diligently and that we ourselves would be dedicated to you, Jesus. That the point of our lives is to follow you more, to know you better, to love you. And that it's not just about knowing things about you, Lord, but to know you, Jesus. May the passion of our lives be knowing you and the power of your resurrection. And we can only do this by your grace and by your mercy and by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask it and plead for it. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so we are in Acts chapter 20. There we go. Uh, we have some Bibles over on the table over there. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, you can, if you're in Acts 20, you can just listen or you can stick your finger right there, which I always think is amazing because you can't do that if you're on your telephone, but you can stick your finger right there and we'll start here in Matthew chapter 28 and then I'll start my timer so we can have lunch too. Um, Today we are talking about discipleship, and and this is important for a number of reasons, and on the top of the list is I think uh, within Christian community and within Christian culture, sometimes there are things that are like, well, that's not my thing, that's somebody else's thing. Uh, You know, liturgical flag dancing, that's somebody else's thing, but it's not necessarily my thing. Um, You know, Christian contemporary music might be my thing, but it's not your thing, right? Uh, I can drive in the car and listen to it, and and you might not, Uh, and that's okay. You're free in Christ to to do liturgical flag dancing or not do liturgical flag dancing, that's your freedom, right? But, but something that I think we can feel like, well, there's, there's discipleship guys. There's, there's guys that are into discipleship. There's navigators. You're like, what's a navigator? He's a guy who likes to make disciples and talk about it and write books about it and do a lot about it. Uh, we can have the sense that there are people who discipleship sort of their thing, but that's not really my thing. I'm into, I'm into something else that's kind of Christian, something else I can pick up at the Christian bookstore. But I think if we're even to get anything out of this... There we go. If we're to get anything out of this, we need to understand that it's not just some people's thing, or it's not just the pastor's thing, or it's not just community group leader's thing, or it's not just the guys who like to get up really early and do Bible studies thing, but discipleship and being discipled is everybody's thing. And where do I get that? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus' last words in Matthew to the people of God says this. 
Uh, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, uh, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the last thing that Matthew wants us to know about. Making disciples is all of our thing. It's all of our thing. But now here's the other problem with this. It's my experience that, one, sometimes we just don't even know what a disciple is. And second, we have no idea how to make one of those. If we're all being honest, right? I had no idea, right? I I didn't know. But I, I kept reading the word a lot, is what Christians are called until Antioch when they start calling them Christians. They're just called Jesus' disciples or followers of the way. And yet, sometimes we just feel like, I don't even know how to do that. I wouldn't even know how. If I stuck you with a brand new Christian and said, help make this person a disciple. Help do what Jesus said to do. You might look at me and say, well, how would that work? It's okay. It's called being discipled. You, you learn, and we're going to talk about it today. So what I want us to see, A, what a disciple is. A sort of a profile, if you will, of a disciple. But two, what it is to make disciples. Because this word, even the word disciple, it's from the Latin word learner, uh, from the Greek word mathetes, which is fun to say, uh, but really means like, you know, a follower, a learner, an adherent. It means that you're sold out for whatever the thing is that you are a disciple of. It is the thing that forms and shapes the way you see the whole world and yourself. But if it just said learner, we'd be like, okay, that's the Latin word, learner. Disciple kind of sounds religious and esoteric, so you're like, oh, I'm a disciple. Yeah, you're a learner. You're learning to follow, love, and serve Jesus to make him the thing that is in your life. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 20. The scene is set. Paul is on a missionary journey. Uh, he is swinging back by Ephesus. Ephesus is a church he planted. He's actually in Miletus because he's so busy trying to get to Jerusalem, he told the elders in Ephesus to meet him down in Miletus. And you're like, where are all those things? They're in the, in the thing in the back of your, there's a map in the back of your Bible probably. It'll show you right where they are. Uh, but what you need to know is that this is who he's addressing. It's a, these are guys, this is a plant, church he planted, uh, was a plant for like three years uh, and was with them for like three years. Uh, and here he is addressing them because he knows some serious stuff is about to go down, which we'll hear a little bit about. So we're in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 18. And when they came to him, those are those, Ephesian elders, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Number one, to make a disciple, you actually have to know somebody, right? You have to do life with them. Um, We live in a weird time in a weird place where so much of the discipleship we do happens by osmosis. And what I mean by that is uh, you might come into a setting like this, uh, you might read a book or read the Bible, and you become a Christian. This is my story, essentially. You become a Christian, and so you're like, okay, cool. Uh, My life was a total mess, and I'm like, uh, what do I do? I'm going to start going to church every Sunday, and I'm never, ever, ever going to miss it because I don't know what to do, and I'm just trying to live. I'm just trying to survive. And so I hear sermons, and it turns out there's sermons on the Internet. It turns out there's Christian books, and I'm just kind of doing it on my own, and I'm learning, and I'm growing. But then it turns out when I meet someone else who's a new Christian, and they want to learn and grow, the only thing I have left to do is say, 
well, I've got a really awesome podcast for you to listen to. I've got this book you should read. And the discipleship itself isn't happening life on life. It's happening by osmosis. Now, there are times and places like Colossae where Paul sends a letter. But really, at the end of the day, there's a guy mentioned in that letter who's the guy who's making the disciples. His name's Epaphras, which, if you need a cool name for a kid, Epaphras Contender. Epaphras. It sounds regal and smart. This is my college professor, Epaphras Jones, right? Sounds good. Um, at the end of the day, I didn't know, though, because no one, it, no one just said, hey, let's come sit and read the Bible, or hey, let's come and do life together. And it wasn't until uh, my, my, dearest, uh, my dearest friend, a guy named Bill Clem, who's a pastor at Imago Day in Portland, Oregon, doing spiritual formation stuff down there, I started working for this guy. And what he did was he said, okay, we're going to have a meeting every week where we read the Bible, memorize the Bible, and study the Bible together. Huh. What's that? He's like, it's called discipleship. And then he did things like had me over to his house for dinner. Huh. Life on life. Not just osmosis. If, 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 if you want to make disciples, you got to have people in your life. If you want to be made a disciple, if you want someone to help you follow Jesus, you need someone to help you follow Jesus. I know this sounds redundant, but it's true. You can't have someone help you follow Jesus if someone's not helping you follow Jesus. Again, redundant. I know. But if you're not making time in your life for other people to speak into your life, and if you're not making time to speak into other people's life, you might look around and be like, I, I, don't, I don't see any fruit in my life. I don't see that I've poured into anybody. I don't see that anyone's poured into me because I don't actually hang out with anybody. Huh. A very simple, straightforward thing, which sounds overly simplistic, but frankly, you know, I got friends who are driving two, three, four, five hours to work and back every day. If you want to do this, if you want to have someone help you follow Jesus, you just got to make some time for it. Ten years goes quick. Ten years goes by. And if you always wait till next week to start pouring into people and people pouring into you, 10, 20, 30, 40 years is quick. I didn't know that. And now I have children, which is a very good gauge. You just lost a tooth. You were just born and now you're six. What are you doing? Six. Okay. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, this means the people who see the Christians as a heretical sect because uh, Christians understand that Jesus, Hamashiach, is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, who's God in the flesh, Hashem, yod vav and every other name we can have for the holy name of the great I Am, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And when you say this Palestinian peasant preacher is the God of the Bible, you're either a heretic or a Christian, and they're Christians. Uh, that's the deal. But it turns out they didn't like Paul very much because he was pretty good at preaching the gospel and God moved in big ways in his life. The thing that we need to see here, though, is this. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Um, I think we can have a mentality that says that, um, you know, I have what I need, right? I, I have friends. I, I could read my Bible. I'm okay, I got it. And we miss that serving other people isn't just about serving other people. And Colossians is really clear on this. When you're serving other people, 
You're doing it in a response to the fact that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came down from heaven not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That the God of the Bible has come in the person of Jesus and served us. And we both get a chance to worship and serve him as we're serving other people, but we miss it. This is service. This is service to Jesus. This is service to others. And so that means that when you're walking with somebody, it's three in the morning again. Oh, I call it three in the morning. I just want to sleep. Man, that's a, that's a sacrifice pleasing to God. You, you don't need to sleep. You've got eternity. You're going you're to sleep some hours here. You're going to die and go home and be with Jesus. And I don't know if we even sleep in heaven. Pick up the phone. Serve them, serve the Lord. Paul understands his service to them as not just service to them. They don't owe him anything. He is serving Jesus who served him so well, loved him and forgiven him for everything. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. This is so important. There are unpopular things in God's holy word. Let's say it. There are unpopular things in here that people don't always want to hear. Well, I know my friend, he's doing this thing and it's totally messed up and it's jacked up. But if I tell him, then we might not be friends anymore. If I, if I talk to him and say, hey man, this is what the Bible says and this is what you're doing, this is who Jesus is and this is what you're doing, man, they might, they might erase me from their Facebook friends. And they might just keep doing the thing that's drawing them further and further and further away from the truth. A doctor who looks at your chart and says, wow, if I tell them they have that disease, they're just going to cry. I hate being the bearer of bad news. Maybe I'll tell them next week. Maybe I'll tell them a couple weeks from now. If I tell them that, geez, I know we can start treatment and stuff, but I'm just going to be so unpopular with them that day. No one would call that a loving doctor. You'd actually call that an evil doctor. So Paul's bold and tells them the truth. And teaching you in public and from house to house. So again, life on life, positioning his life to pour into people in this public arena and also house to house. This is Paul's ministry. This is why we do Sundays, right? We come together to preach the good news of Jesus and why we do community groups so that we can actually spend life house to house, right? Getting in each other's life, being positioned to actually speak the truth into people's lives, Right? So that we can love and be loved. So we can speak truth and have the truth spoken to us. So we can serve others and they can serve us. It's a two-way street. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's Christian community. Testifying both to Jews and Greeks. That's everybody. That's what it means. Of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think it was Martin Luther who rightly said that the whole of Christian life is repentance. We're constantly turning from things that are not true and turning to the truth of Jesus. And it's not just that discipleship is, I will give you a list of sins not to do. Because people do that all the time. This is discipleship. You sit down, here's your list, don't do these things. Okay, I cannot do those things. I'll white knuckle it. I'll try. And then all I really get to be is proud and the guy who then gives other people the list of things not to do. Repentance is I see these things as the things that are keeping me from obeying Jesus, following Jesus, loving Jesus, trusting Jesus, and turning from my sin and turning to him. 
And this is what he's teaching them about. Because, I mean, especially when you're first a Christian, there are things that you just don't even know are wrong. There are things you don't even know are going to take you away from Jesus. There are, are things that you don't even understand that are inconsistent with the reality of God himself coming to save you from yourself. And when you have a soft heart, you hear him and you're like, oh, I want Jesus, not that. Jesus is what I want. And guess what? Not everybody's read the whole Bible yet. You can walk with people in love and grace and mercy. And, and, and sometimes, frankly, we just need people pointing out, hey, I don't even realize, really know that you know this. Because guess what? I am not the greatest judge of myself. Right? We tend to either have an opinion that's either way too high or way too low of ourselves as human beings. We, we tend to think we're either awesome, and I was like, I'm just going to let him think he's awesome. Or, or we tend to get so self-centered and self-obsessed. We're at the center of the universe, and, and we realize about all our imperfections and how many things we haven't done right and how, many, how much is wrong. And, and, and we miss the fact that if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ has made you right with himself through his cross for his glory, and you are his. And there's nothing you can do. You can't out-sin the cross. You can't out-sin Jesus. And, and frankly, when we get kind of caught up in the maze of our own heart, when we're kind of turning in on ourselves, that's a really nasty thing that just goes down further and further and further and further. And rarely do we really realize the further we go down in that, the more we discredit what Jesus has done for us the more we discredit who we now are because of him. I'm not saying you don't have dark days, and I'm not saying it's a life with a big old... I'm not saying. I'm saying there are times when we suffer. I'm saying there's times when, the, you know, Eric, so great, I didn't know he was going to sing that song. There are times when the fire is on and the crud is coming out. There are times when God is breaking down the labyrinth you've made for yourself and your own heart that keeps taking you more and more centered on your own navel and how horrible you are and you need the truth spoken into you that you were not saved because you are lovely. God did not come, you, come to get you because you're good at parcheesi or any other thing, but that God in his ultimate sovereign grace and mercy came to save us from ourselves and loved us first. And that continues. This is the gospel. And I need it and you need it. We can fall into a trap. A trap? Ditches. Let's go with ditches. Even, even in terms of like uh, something like a community group or, or a Sunday gathering or a Bible study, we have these two giant ditches we can get caught up in. And one is legalism. And one is being so free from it that you, you don't think about the consequences. So the legalism is, I come on Sunday to get a gold star so God will love me more. Wrong. And, and we need to be careful as we preach against that because if you only read your Bible, if you only come to church, if you only uh, get in a community group so that you can win points with God, you will live an, as a slave to your own legalisms and you will not live in the joy and the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has set you free from these things. So what? So you can actually do these things in freedom, right? Church isn't just here. The Sunday gathering's not just here for when it's convenient. It's here for me to come and figure out who can I love today. And I'm not just talking about me. It's easy for me to say me from here. I mean you from where you're sitting in your seat. Who has God uniquely positioned you here today to speak the truth into their life? And who's got a truth for you? Who are you here to love 
And who's here to love you? Who are you here to serve? And who's here to serve you? Because it's not, again, it's not a pyramid. It's a community. It's, it's a body, right? So yeah, this is important. There's something beautiful. The people of God are somehow more the people of God when we're here together. The Holy Spirit is here with us. Jesus is present with us. We come together to worship him together. Beautiful, amazing things happen in your room when you're singing to Jesus, reading the Bible on the bus or whatever, and God is present there. But there's something, there's a guarantee that God's people are coming together and at this church that someone's going to open up the Bible, whether it's me or someone else, and remind us and hopefully themselves that Jesus saved sinners from death to life. That is the cornerstone of discipleship. That is the cornerstone of our life in Jesus. And it takes me about 15 seconds to forget that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. It takes me about 15 seconds to forget that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. It takes me about 15 minutes to forget that he came not to uh, serve. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It takes me about 15 minutes, 15 seconds to forget there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And unless I have my face in this book, I'm thinking about it on my mind, hanging out with a Christian friend, or coming somewhere where someone's going to proclaim that truth into my life, I forget it and I wander into some other garbage. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I say that every Sunday because I love you and because I need to hear it. I need to hear it. I have a thousand, don't count my ticks. It's not a fun game. And I'm like, oh, don't count his ticks, don't count his ticks. I have ticks. I say things. I say the wrong thing in the wrong place, right? And I get up in front of you guys every week and you're like, oh, there's that tick again. And now you're going to notice them. It's going to be awkward for us both. You know what I need to hear? I don't need to hear, hey, great sermon. I need to hear that Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. I don't care about what. <laughs> My sermon catalog in eternity is dust. Right? We don't even write them out anymore. All I got to do is break your phone and you don't have them, right? <laughs> gone. Unplug the internets. It goes Mad Max. Everything's gone. <laughs> dust. You know what's eternal? The truth applied to me that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's eternal. That, by the way, is discipleship. Speaking that truth into people's lives. Okay. 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, here's the good news for Paul, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. To live as a disciple of Jesus is to live a spirit-empowered, spirit-led life following Jesus, not just into the rosy, nice, uh, you know, it's not just one big frozen yogurt stand after another, right? Uh, life is, is, is not love Jesus and everything's just going to be a cupcake. There are a lot of cupcakes, mind you, but they're all found in him. That's a weird metaphor, but there it is. <laughs> the reality is, is that in Jesus, in Jesus is our peace, in Jesus is our rest, in Jesus is our hope, 
And sometimes as our hope, as our peace, as our rock, we go into the, the junk. We go into battle. We go into the war, either with our own sin or just our own inclination to just be quiet. I'm not going to say anything to him. I'm just going to let him keep going. I'm just, I mean, if I say that to him, he just, he just doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to hear that that's ruining his life. Nothing worse than having, watching someone shipwreck their life and all their friends sit around after the life ship, like, I shipwrecked my life. And I was like, yeah, I knew you were shipwrecking your life, but I just, you know, I, we're friends. I didn't want to tell you. You knew three years ago I was shipwrecking my life and you said nothing. Nothing. Now well, we're friends. They're never happy with that, by the way. And you have to repent. Had a buddy on a bad trajectory years ago. Friends sat around and said, we ought to talk to him about it. Who's going to talk to him about it? We've got to talk to him about it. The trajectory gets severed by God. By the hand of God, a couple weeks later, but he looks at me in the face and said, Jesus wanted us to talk to him about that, and we didn't. Jesus saved him, fixed it, put it back together. We had to look at each other and be like, oops. We didn't want to do it. It was hard. It was hard. God's gracious. With us, without us, and in spite of us, he is gracious. That was a without us thing. He invited us into his work, and we declined because it was awkward. Paul's being invited into God's work, and at the same, I mean, there's, this, there's a guy in Acts who straight up takes off somebody's fanny pack and wraps it around his hands, and he says, this is going to be you, Paul. He's like, hey, I know. I'm going where God's telling me to go. Jesus, one of the weirdest things, best things, keep you up at night kind of things, uh, amazing things, I'm not sure, you can decide. Uh, one of the things that it tells us about Jesus is he goes in to do battle with Satan as he begins the thing that is his ministry where he's going to defeat Satan and ultimately defeat Satan on the cross so Satan has no authority over the people of God any longer. What happens? He goes out into the desert to be tested by the enemy. And what are we told that the Spirit did to get him there? Led him. He led him out there to be tempted by the devil and to feed the devil. There are times in your life where God is going to lead you, if you're actually positioned to love and serve people, to do things that are very awkward and uncomfortable. We've got to listen. Disciple listens. Then hear what he says. This man... This, to me, is one of the most powerful things that Paul ever says. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. We're Americans. We don't like to hear things like this. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. How much is your life worth? How much is it worth to you? How much is your comfort I mean, it's, it's hard because we're married. Well, yeah, 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 I'd go, you know, if you called me to go somewhere dangerous, I'd go, I'd lay my life down. What's your couch worth? What's your TV worth? What's your time worth? Well, I would pour into somebody or I would seek someone to pour into me, but, you know, 
Roseanne's on again. Because <laughs> it's in reruns. It's reruns. <laughs> but it's on again. Not only that, Paul says, hey, you have to understand that this is, in the, this is what happens. If we get crazy, you want to get crazy, let's get crazy. When we become a people who give of our lives to help each other follow Jesus more and see Jesus more clearly, the more clearly you see Jesus and the power of the gospel, the power of his grace in your life, the more valuable Jesus becomes and the cheaper your life becomes. The more valuable getting to know him more becomes and the cheaper Roseanne becomes. The more valuable he becomes and less valuable my time to have me time becomes. Because all I want is Jesus. And all I want for you is Jesus. And that's what Paul wants here. He's willing to give his life not only so that he can have more of Jesus, but because he knows the power of Jesus at work in people's lives, he gives his life so they can know more of Jesus. And this is the thing that you are invited into. I'm not just talking about some program. Yeah, we need community group leaders. You want to be community group leaders? We need them. What I need you more than that is to be a person who's going to lay your life down to help other people know Jesus more. Because that's what counts in eternity. That's what counts 10 years from now. That's what counts when somebody walks up to you and says, my life was shipwrecked and you helped me because you told me about who Jesus was. That is what a disciple is. That's what making disciples are, is. He goes on. And now behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Just like Matthew gives us Jesus' last most important thing, this is what he wants to leave them with. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he knows it's not going to go well. He's going to get on a boat and go to Jerusalem, and everything is going to go poorly there from a world, from a world, from a human view, from the worldly standard. God uses the evil. For his glory, as he always does. You know, he uses it. Paul just, I'm sure it's just to make more concrete. Not height, nor depth, nor power, nor principality can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's doing in those situations in our lives. But you know, these are his, I mean, these are his friends. To make disciples, you've got to be friends. Right? You've got to be friends. You've got you to know people. You've got to speak into them. Uh, verse 26. Oh, yeah, verse 26. Let's go. Uh, therefore, I testify to you this day. Paul's about to say one of the hardest things he says. You know, like, that guy's tough. He says harder things, but this one's up there. Uh, therefore, I test you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I told you the truth. You want to be a preacher? Listen up. You want to make disciples? Listen up. Sometimes you have to say things that are uncomfortable because you love people and you love God's word and you love them more than them liking you. And by the way, you love God's word more than anything. So we don't edit the word. We don't skip verses that are awkward or uncomfortable. Um, I, I've, I've often wrestled with this, even how we do uh, preaching, how we get around the whole book, because I really like 
Starting at the beginning of the book and coming to the end of the book, it feels nice. It feels complete. Now, and at the same time, there's a big problem. Now, if there's, I think there's five major divisions in the Bible. There's the Torah, the Navi, the Kataviyam. Those are my fancy words for the day. That's the Tanakh. That's a fancy way to say the Old Testament. Uh, it's in the order that Jesus had it. Uh, it goes Torah, the books of Moses first, the, the, the Navi or the prophets, and that in, the, uh, in Jesus' Bible, in the Septuagint, in the Hebrew order, uh, would include things like First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, uh, Joshua, that's a great book with all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, all of those go in the Navi, and the Kataviyah means writing. It's just a really fancy way. To, it's actually just a normal word. It just means writing. And then in the New Testament, we have Gospels and Epistles, which is a fancy way to say letters, because I've read too many books lately and I'm using the word epistle. You're like, what is that? It's a letter. So there's letters. And so I'm always trying to figure out how do we get around this thing? How do we, how do we get into the minor prophets? Because if I preached front to back Genesis, that's like 52 chapters. Am I right? 50 chapters? That's a lot of preaching. If I were to preach Isaiah cover to cover, that's 66. And by the way, it would take me a decade to preach Isaiah cover to cover because it's weird and awesome and weird and awesome. It's kind of a pattern of weird and awesome. But at the same time, it's my heart that you as a people, we as a church, would be formed by the whole counsel of God. Right? So it's not just, oh man, I think people want to hear about money. Let's get a book that talks about money. Oh hey, I think people want to hear about this. Let's talk about that. It's how do we actually move around the thing? How do we get in a pattern that says, oh man, we're here. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm kicking that around in my brain, but my heart for us is that we go around. So in the fall, we're going to do John's gospel, but we're going to do 13 to like 17, 14 to 17. And it's Jesus' upper room discourse. And by the way, if you follow it, it makes clear all the doctrine that Jesus wants us to believe, starting with who he is in his word. It talks about spiritual warfare. It talks about his return. It talks about all these things, and we're going to take it apart because we need to talk about what we believe, and that will be a very good way to do it. So I'm still going to do long sections and as much as I can a book. Like Malachi is easy. Seven chapters, front to back. We can do that this summer. You know. Jeremiah, that's a long time to be hanging out with Jeremiah. He is a bummed out, sad dude, and we'd be there for like three years, and he's crying all the time, and he's doing weird stuff, which are good, wonderful things. You should read Jeremiah, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It just takes a long time to take it apart. We're going to keep doing word for word, but my aim is I I'm taking this verse. I want the scriptures to speak to me. I'm taking this verse very seriously. I want this to be a church uh, that we're not like really like, we got this big arm that's like the Pauline letters. I've preached a bunch of Paul's letters because they're shorter. We got this big arm over here and you're like, so what do you guys think about 1 Samuel? Like, what's 1 Samuel? <laughs> it's in the Old Testament. What's that? It's the first 78% of the Bible and that's all about Jesus too. So it, it, it's that aim that we'd speak the whole counsel of God. And now you've entered into the brain, my brain and preaching theory, and we will move on. Uh, okay. Whole counsel of God. Oh, yeah, blood's not on his hands. Because I don't want my blood, your blood on my hands. Okay? And that's the same is true with people you're walking with. That is like the toughest dirty hairy thing he ever says, by the way. And half of everyone said, who's dirty hairy? Don't look it up. I don't think it's kid appropriate. I say things, and I'm like, and you go home, and you watch it, and you're like, whoa, goodness. I haven't seen Dirty Harry in a long time. I'm not sure how it goes. I don't, pulling my endorsement of it. Forget I said it. Uh, pay careful attention to yourselves 
and to all the flock. Now, he's speaking to elders here, but I think we need to hear it too. Well, if you're an elder, you do need to hear it, Pastor Joe. Uh, pray, Pray careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Uh, okay, there's, oh man, there's so much going on here. Uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now, all these things are true of all of us. You need to pay careful attention to yourself. You need to pay attention to who you are believing. You need to pay attention to whose disciple you actually are. You need to pay attention to what is forming your mind, forming your heart, and forming your life. You need to pay close attention. Because here's the problem. We all like to hear what we like to hear. We like to hear what we like to hear. I think God's telling me to do this. To buy a big house and a nice car and to really enjoy it. Yeah. Maybe, but that also sounds like what you might actually want out of the deal. How do you know it's God? How do you know it's not just you? You want a boat without barnacles or something. I don't know. You know, whatever it is. And that doesn't mean we need to test it. And we always need to be suspicious when we feel like God's called us to do something that's very selfish and self-centered, that doesn't have anything to do with his kingdom purposes. We need to be careful in there, by the way. And we need to pay careful attention to ourselves. I also believe you're saved. You have a new heart. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Whatever you want, the deepest thing in light of that is probably what God wants. And what I mean by that is if, you have our, if you're saying, man, I, I want to know his word better. Yeah, that sounds a lot like God to me working in you. I want to love people more. I want to love God more. I want to bring God more glory. That sounds more like the thing that God would say other than the big house and the nice car right? He actually wants you to live this life of obedience. A, because living a life of disobedience will wreck everything. But B, there's actually a lot of joy in following Jesus faithfully. There's a lot of joy in loving God and loving other people. There's a lot of joy when you wake up, you get your head out of the sand, you're like, man, I'm the most selfish human being I know. I don't want that anymore. And then your kids wake up at four in the morning and you're like, oh, here I am again, Mr. Selfish. One dad laughs, but that's okay. You all have children and be like, oh, yes, look how not magnanimous, gracious, or kind at four in the morning turns out. Selfish and self-centered. There's that guy, the old guy. He's got to go. But also hear this. Uh, Holy Spirit, pay careful attention to what you, uh, yourselves and all the flock. And so people like Pastor Joe, myself, we have an obligation to look after all y'all which is scary. We talked about that last week a little bit in Hebrews. We have to give an account for that. Uh, To care for the church of God. Now, two things here. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, the Holy Spirit, that means that God is positioned through the Holy Spirit, the people who are in in leadership roles in a church, right? That's his sovereign choice to an extent. There's a lot that goes on to that. It's not just like we're like, we go give him a call and be like, oh, we're calling up that guy. Okay. Right? But they sovereignly put the guys in place after they've been vetted and tested. Paul tested these guys, trained these guys, vetted these guys. But he's actually ordained today that I would stand here and do this. But it's not just me and saying, oh, I've, uh, the Holy Spirit ordained me to do this, so you got to do what I say, or something like that. It's actually that the Holy Spirit ordained for you to be here today. He, he ordained for you. If, if, if you are his, he put you here so that you could be discipled and make disciples. And I don't just mean listen to my words. I mean that you could love other people, and other people could love you, and you could pour into other people, and they could pour into you, and they could speak the truth to you, and you could speak the truth to them. We need to constantly be asking the Spirit, constantly, constantly asking God, what does this person need and how can I serve them? 
What does this person need and how can I serve them? How can I, what do they need? What did you do here today? I, I hope and pray that you pray diligently. I'm going to be praying for this as we close this thing down here in a few minutes. That God would bring people into your life that he plans to save. There are people that only you can get to. I know this is a drum I beat a little bit, but I need you to hear it. Because when I became a pastor, I stopped working at a restaurant. When I stopped working at a restaurant, that meant that most of my non-Christian evangelistic relationships took a serious hit. I have lots of friends who are non-Christians. I have lots of friends I try and share the gospel with. But man, when you're just there, standing, waiting for the food to come up, and it's hot, and the guys in the kitchen are like, so you're a Christian, what about this stupid thing, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, actually, penal substitution, blah, blah, blah. Oh, i got to take the rice and beans. I'll see you in a minute. Bye. I'll, I'll come back. You know, you're doing that all day when they know you're the one Christian. They know. So you're like one of those Christians that believes the Bible, and so they ask you all these weird questions all the time. I don't even know how to answer that question because your question's weird, <laughs> but not in a bad way. Have weird questions. I mean, I, I mean weird in the best kind of way. You've got a weird question to ask. If you're not a Christian and you've got some weird questions, hey, man, I, have, I probably would out-weird out you in the weird questions I had, and no one's afraid of your weird questions. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, the Holy Spirit brought you here too. Today's the day you need to hear that Jesus saves sinners. Today's the day that you need to know that Jesus will wash you clean from your sin. He will crush the beef between you and God and make you right with him. You need to know that the sovereign God of the universe picked today. Today's the day. Let's keep going. Holy Spirit. Oh, I think I had one more in there. Oh, yeah. Care for the church of God. Do you care about these people you're sitting with? I mean, if you're here just checking us out or whatever, like, that, that's great. We're glad you're here. But like, if this is home, if this is church for you, do you care about the other people that are here? Do you want to help them follow him more? Do, do you care about their need? Do you care about their felt needs? Do you care if people are making rent? Do you, do you care if they got food on the table? It's not just the pastor's job. It's our job together. Okay, moving on. Pay careful attention. Yep. Okay, here we go. 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. That's scary. Not, I mean, so often as the church, we think of fierce wolves. We want to paint the fierce wolves as those guys out there, which is a little overly simplistic most of the time, by the way. But he's saying in, inside the community of faith, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Well, here's what's scary, right? The stuff that's out there, it's easy to be like, well, that's out there stuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super intimidated by the, you know, the Bhagavad Gita because I know what it is before I even pick it up. It's when I read a book by a Christian author and I get about 75% of the way through it and I'm like, ooh, that's off gospel. Or worse, when you're like, who wrote this book? That's contradictory to the scriptures. Now, what is the problem with that? Well, the first 75% sounded really good. And let's be honest, you get a book, you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read more Christian books this year. And so you go to your Christian bookstore. We don't have any in Seattle, so you got it on Amazon. Um, it's true, we don't. So you get it, you open it, and you read the first chapter. You're like, that was really nice. 
and tell your friends, hey, I was reading by this book by this guy. It was awesome. But in chapter 9, it goes south. But you didn't get there because you didn't read it. And that's okay. I mean, don't be ju- You read it. You read the first chapter. first chapter was really the best chapter. But the scary thing is, and really my point here, is that when it's dressed up in Jesus' stuff, legalism dressed up in Jesus' stuff is scary. Do these things so God will love you. And I think the way we do this the most is the gospel is Jesus saves sinners from themselves and, and, and does this all by his own doing. And then we're, and you get saved and you're in. You're like, okay, I want to grow in the gospel. And then people are like, here's your list of books and you have to read them. You have to do this and you have to do that. Yeah, there is obedience. I'm not going to downplay obedience. But this is formed in the reality that I want to know Jesus more and my heart motivation for knowing Jesus more is knowing Jesus more, not because some guy told me I had to. Right? That's legalism. Or you're a Christian, don't do this, X, Y, or Z. And you're like, I didn't actually see that one in the Bible. I'll stop myself. That's where I have to stop myself on a rant. Um, And then on the other end of the spectrum, you get people saying this, and this is the thing I think we have to look out for the most. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't actually say that. You know what the Greek word there is? Yeah, the Greek word there can really be taken in these seven different ways. You know what the, oh, you know what the Hebrew word there? Oh, no, 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 it didn't mean that. It meant this, this, and the other. And then you actually study Greek and Hebrew. And you're like, it does too mean that. What are you talking about? But you don't know, right? And I'm not trying to set up like a varsity, junior varsity thing here. But just be careful if some dude starts talking about something that's plain here in your I said it last week, I'll say it again because it's funny now. The mother tongue, your English Bible, and you're in a good English translation, and they come up with something that's really, really, really different with that. Don't just take it at face value. Do a little homework. Because they're dressing it up in Christian stuff. It's scary. It's dangerous. Wolves. Wolves lead people away. Look out for the people trying to lead you out of community. Lead you away from Jesus. Okay. And why do I even say that? Because as disciple makers, we want to help people be able to discern those things for themselves. You want to give people what you got so they can do that on their own. Okay. Um, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. So we don't do these things for power. We don't do these things for money. We don't do these things for influence. We do these things in response to Jesus and his gospel. Verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by the working hard in this way we must help the weak. Oh, did I miss one? Sorry, go back to 32. And now I commend you to God, because this is perhaps one of the most important verses, I missed it. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are satisfied. Who do we make disciples of? Jesus is the answer. The Sunday school answer is usually the right one. Who do we make disciples of? Jesus. I once taught a class on Hebrews, not when I was doing the sermon, but I was teaching a class on it. it was the, the answer was the Holy Spirit. I said, who, who's, who's this here? And I said, everyone, the whole class, like 30 people said, Jesus. That was cool. You all said Jesus at the same time. That is not the right answer. Who is it? And then like 25 people said, God the Father, but kind of in a, because it's hard to say God the Father together. No, that's not right either. But I appreciate those of you who are still being enthusiastic. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit. 
But here, here the thing is, I, I commend, uh, oh, sorry, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what's he saying? Mind you, he's about to get on the boat and go to Jerusalem and get tied up with a fanny pack. Or that was the prophecy. He's not going to get tied up with a fanny pack. The prophecy was his fanny pack. So he's about to go to Jerusalem, and it's going to go really, really poorly for him. And this is the last thing he needs to say to them. And he doesn't say, hey, guys, remember how awesome I am. He commends them to God's word and God's grace, because whose disciples are they? They're Jesus' disciples. How do you make Jesus' disciples? With Jesus' word. So it's not that he had some cool scheme or plan or ten steps to something. It's that he preached to them the whole counsel of God. He got them rooted in God's word and God's grace. And he got them rooted in the person of Jesus, not himself. If your disciples, if the people you're discipling start looking too much like yourself, take a pause, stop moment, pump the brakes, and look around. Okay, all my disciples are starting to dress like me, sound like me, and listen to the same music I'm listening to. Are we even talking about Jesus? Okay, cool. We're all into, into conveyor belt sushi now, and we all come together and have our opinions about the food we're eating, but did we even talk about Jesus? Oh, hey, and they're even inviting all their friends to conveyor belt sushi. It's the Christian conveyor belt sushi club, and it's happening all over the place, and Jesus isn't mentioned except for when we maybe remember to pray over him. Whose disciples are you making? His or yours? His or yours? And then I always say sushi, and everyone's like, I'm hungry, and you're running late, and it's lunchtime. So commended by grace, he commends them to Jesus, to his grace. He's their disciples. Uh, I read 33, 35, and all things I've shown you that by working hard in the way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Pour out our lives for other people to follow Jesus. And guess what? We don't just pour out our lives or receive said pouring into us by people who are just like us. I don't want to hang out with that guy. He's so awkward, or that I don't want to do this other thing because this person or this other thing. They're weak and they need help. He, he's just crazy. He wiles out. And he's, I know he's a new Christian, but he's wiling out. I just want to stay. He's new. He's weak. Will you help him? Will you walk with him? I know he's crazy. Do we only give preference to the people that are like us? Or maybe, like the last verse, 33. Um, I coveted no one's silver, no one's gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to the necessities to those who are with me. So are we willing to walk with and make disciples with people who aren't going to give us anything? Are we willing to pour into people who don't seem, and I, I'm going to say seem, because, man, we can be really arrogant and think that no one has anything to teach us, and we are so wrong. We are so wrong. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> We have a lot to learn from a lot of people that if we see them as less than, we won't. And if we only walk with people who are to our advantage, who will give us something out of the deal, man, first it's wrong. Because <laughs> if Jesus walked with the people who were good enough to walk with him, who would he walk with? Nobody. We want to be more like Jesus than ourselves. Okay. So why all this? Why make disciples? Why pour into people? Why? 
This is where you can say, Jesus, Jesus is why. I want to follow him and I want you to follow him. And I want, to, I want to follow him more tomorrow than I did today. I want to know him deeper and better. I want to never hit the plateau and say, well, I guess I read every Bible dictionary I could find. I know everything about him. I never want to land there, and I never want you to land there either. I want God to continue to stir in you a hunger for his glory, a hunger for his gospel, and a hunger for who he is. And frankly, one of the means of that grace that he's put in our lives are other people pointing us to him and us pointing us them to him. So just a couple questions, and then we'll go sing. Go sing, we'll stay and sing. Who or what are you a disciple of? What's governing your life? What's governing your heart? What's got your heart? What's the thing that you can't wait until Eric and the Von Stark family singers are done singing? <laughs> what is the thing that you are waiting for? He named it, not me. I heard him say it. They're a family, by the way. That's why I said that. You're like, oh, Eric's awesome. He's, uh, he's awesome. So is his family. What is the thing you can't wait to tell people about? You read this book. You found this restaurant. You saw this TV show. What's the thing that you can't wait till I'm done talking about Jesus for you to start talking about? What kind of disciples are you making? Are you walking with people and because you're walking with them you can see God's grace in their life made more man? This is, I mean, well, parents. Oh, man. If you're a parent, you are the primary disciple maker of your children. You, this is your job. What kind of disciples do you have running around your house? They'll tell you, man. They will tell you. Kids walking around singing Johnny Horton songs all the time. Okay, you are definitely my kid. You're definitely doing my stuff. <laughs> Now let's make sure there's a right mix of Johnny. And everyone's like, who the heck is Johnny Horton? I won't sing you a song, but he is awesome. Johnny Horton, right mix of Johnny Horton and Jesus is supreme. Yeah, you can like Johnny. You can hate Johnny Horton. I don't care. You can get a PhD or pump gas. I don't care. Right? I don't care. I care that you love Jesus. This is me singing to my children here. This is, this is my heart for them. And I want that to be clear to them every step of the way. Be who God has built you to be and love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's what I want for them. Because here in the gospel, the reality that Jesus saves sinners to life, this is the disciples' life. Paul's so clear on this. They're easy to memorize. Timothy, teach other guys what I taught you and teach them to teach somebody else. 2 Timothy 2 and 22. The other one's great. Thank you, Jesus, for a weird numbering system. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Am I helping people be disciples of Jesus or, you know, Star Trek conventions? Creative society of anachronism. What do you got, you know? Sorry. That's all I got. They're the guys who fight as knights in the park. Turns out you need someone to teach you how to do that. Um, sort of. Then finally, 
Who have you positioned your life to have people? How, how have you positioned your life to have people legitimately pour into you? Are there people in this community who know you well enough to speak the truth into your life? People you listen to. People you'll expose yourself to. People you'll be honest with. And I'm not just talking about every day as an intense coffee meeting. I'm saying, have dinner. Hang out. Go to shows. Do life. It's life on life, not just church meeting all the time. These church meetings are good, but they need to be the, uh, the catalyst for the rest of your life with people. Who's pouring into you? Who's pointing you to Jesus? Who are you pointing to Jesus? You have the Holy Spirit and God's word. I know. I'll, I'll just be honest. I know it sounds even intimidating. Oh, I'm just not ready for that. Well, first of all, I'd say you probably are. And second of all, the way you get ready is having someone else pour into you so you can pour into somebody else so you can pour into somebody else. Who are you pouring into? Who's pouring into you? How are you doing Matthew 28, 18? And again, I think this is very helpful. Who are you loving? Who are you being loved by? Who are you serving? Who's serving you? Who are you telling the truth to and who's telling the truth to you? If you don't know him, We care about all these things because Christianity, Jesus, isn't about a bunch of rules and not sinning. It's about knowing and loving the God of the universe more. And we're inviting you into this. If you do know him, what's he calling you to? Let's pray.